I've always been an ironic dreamer, unfaithful to my inner promises, like a complete outsider, a casual observer of whom I thought I was. I've always enjoyed watching my daydreams go down in defeat. I was never convinced of what I believed in. I filled my hands with sand, called it gold, and opened them up to let it slide through as I embraced the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 60 of Embrace the Void, where the rough beast of the 2018 election slouches ever closer. I am your host, Aaron, and with me, as always, is my co-sloucher, GW. I mean, I'm not slouching right now, so... No? No. I mean, do you have a problem because... Do you have that um, sort of common thing where because you're very tall, you, have, you do a bit of a natural slouch? Yes, it's a problem. <laughs> I've worked on trying to correct it, but it's hard. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up at the beginning of the show, man. Yeah. Like I could go through the woes of being tall. Like people always think like being tall is such a like good thing, I guess. But man, my growing pains, I grew three inches in a uh, summer. Ugh. That sounds mutant. Yeah. I had so many growing pains. It was terrible. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Scarred you. Forever. Did you get physical scars? No. I was one of the lucky few. Mm. So, uh, today we are back with our Better Know a Philosopher. Um, before we get to that, actually, uh, I wanted to mention we've gotten, sort of gotten to our next Patreon goal. Uh, it's been a little touch and go because a couple individuals, uh, their credit cards aren't uh, working properly. So maybe if you're a patron and you haven't noticed the charge for a while, maybe check on that. Um, but... We are we're getting real close to this uh, patron Q and A thing. So uh, if you want us to to really get there, um, and you've been enjoying the show, maybe throw a few more bucks at it, just so we're we're definitely over that line, and uh, we'll be happy to start setting that up. I think it's happened twice now, where we hit it, and then like five seconds later, something happened. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're teasing with it, right? We're we're playing footsie with it, but uh, we're real close. So I think, you know, keep your eyes open in the future for some uh, Q&A content. Um, and hopefully there's going to be some extra patron only content coming your way as well soon. Now that my semester has started back up, I'm hoping to provide some films of some of my lectures if I can make that work properly and have the, co- the quality not be terrible. So yeah. fingers crossed. Yeah. And we had a. Uh... Chapter one and chapter two out. Uh, chapter three should come out soon for superintelligence, and that's just for our patrons. Um, and so we're going to keep going with that as well. Yeah, and there's some really great stuff in there that sort of is overlapping with other conversations we've been happening, having and conversations we're having over on philosophers in space and on our... Um, speaking of which, we have decided to um, make the, the Philosophers in Space Facebook group also the home of Embrace the Void discussions. So if you are looking to engage some more with talking about the topics that we bring up here, 
uh, head on over to Philosophers in Space group on Facebook and make sure you answer the questions. And it's a real fun group. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And to be fair, Aaron strong armed me into saying, oh, like, Jesus. I want to get rid of the Embrace the Void group because I don't really like you and I like Thomas better. So, yeah, that's exactly that's what exactly happened. what happened. Yeah, verbatim. That's why I spend all of my time tweeting on Embrace the Void and posting on Embrace the Void page, which has thousands of followers. You are you poor, poor GW. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Do you have anything else on the uh, housekeeping front? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, uh, we're chugging away here. All right. So let's uh, better know a philosopher. I think, therefore, I am Rene Descartes. Optimism, madness. That all well when we miserable. Voltaire. Chicken, Peter, you just a little chicken. Cheat, 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 cheat. Not me, Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> so our philosopher this week, uh, we did another poll, and, and it got very close. It was originally, it was very tight between Angela Davis and Simone de Beauvoir. And I think uh, Angela Davis just barely won out, but I think uh, we're going to save Simone de Beauvoir for our next philosopher of the week because she's also incredibly fascinating and because i started doing some research on her uh, i, I Davis honest, is an amazing choice i have to be honest i can't wait till we get to her just because i want to keep saying her last name like a million times it's I, such I don't a know if cool i'm doing it right or not but i like it but it's right? an it's awesome great... sounding last name yeah. it's french so i'm almost certainly doing it wrong right um yeah so angela davis is a first for us in a lot of ways she is our uh first i believe still living philosopher that we were talking about. She was born in 44, and she is our first uh, philosopher of color, and our first female philosopher, and our first non-straight philosopher. Well, do we do we count um, our penis demon person? Was she a philosopher? <laughs> like, I mean, I think I would I'd count Eileen as, as our first, uh, which was like funny. episode four or something. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I meant the first that we are talking as about in this segment. Yeah, yeah okay. It's fine. Good job. You're right. Um, so uh, she's great for a variety of reasons. But the first one that jumped out as I was reading through her biography, as we've sort of we've got this trend going where we keep mentioning the voidy parts, because obviously we're embracing the void here of these philosophers lives, their their backgrounds. And, you know, we could have a whole philosophical debate about whether you have to have suffered some voidiness in order to be a good philosopher. I think it's an interesting question, but also one that borders on, you know, the idea that you can only be an artistic genius if you're tortured or something. So we have to be careful about assumptions like that. But, but it is true. very interesting. But, but it's that we, absolutely true. It's factual, objectively speaking. Hundred percent. Totally true. Hundred percent. I will make. Well, I will make. I will throw that claim against the wall. It's real. Well, like for example, I would say I have not had an especially voidy life, and I am a mediocre philosopher. So that checks out. Yeah. There you go. Right. That's, Proven. That's proof. I think we've we've solved that. Yeah, we cut it. Um, if we chop off one of your legs, boom, you start selling books like that. There you go. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, Angela Davis, uh, the voidy starts early and continues. Um, she's born in segregated Birmingham, Alabama. I don't know if you've heard of Birmingham, Alabama. That name rings any bells for you? Yep. Just a uh, few. Yeah, she grew up in an area that was referred to as Dynamite Hill because it was plagued by white power bombings that they would they were bombing houses to try to get black people to not live there. Um, she actually uh, 
was she said she was driven by but also she knew the kids who were killed in the 16th street baptist church bombing jesus yeah um that happened while she was at college and um was an event that appears to have further radicalized her and we're going to talk about sort of radicalism as a concept um speaking and of whether she counts speaking as a radical of bombing black people do you know the cops actually bombed uh uh, I believe it was Black Panthers group in the 60s or 70s. Like, they dropped a bomb out of a helicopter. Really? I'm, I'm not surprised. I, have, I don't know the exact story. She was part of the Black Panthers. Um, and, and like, so that's that's the the important background. Because Angela Davis is a controversial figure. A lot of people see her as racist or they see her as um, dangerously radical in her sort of communist, uh, abolitionist kind of leanings. Um, and so I think it's worthwhile to understand that, uh, whatever radical views she has, she comes by them, it seems through honest experience of radical inequality. She went to a segregated school in Alabama growing up. Like she saw firsthand the way that the oppressed are treated. And it seems to have very strongly driven her, all of her views. By the time she graduated high school, she was a communist. Yeah. Yeah, she's a great figure at the intersection of sort of black uh, liberation ethics and communism uh, alongside other individuals like um, Paul Robeson, uh, who were very interested in discussing the struggle of their people through Marxist kinds of lenses. Um, so again, this is sort of a reoccurring theme when I, whenever I try to talk about philosophy is to see how much philosophies really have shaped human experiences across the world um stuff like marx pops up everywhere uh she when she was in college actually studied in uh the frankfurt school and in, in frankfurt and studied with um one of the the more famous members of what's called the frankfurt school um a guy named marcuse i think i'm pronouncing that right uh she studied with him at brandeis and followed him eventually to uc san diego fun fact the frankfurt school are the individuals that people are referring to when they refer to um, uh, cultural Marxists and don't just mean Jews, <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's the historical individuals. The, the, the Frankfurt School is, and we'll probably talk about these guys at some point, right? They're known for their critiques of society, especially critical critiques of Western capitalist society and the ethics that it kind of assumes um, so she was she was really big into communism. She went to like the East Bloc Germany and was sort of spoke positively of the communists during uh, a period in time in which it was very dangerous to speak positively about communists. Interesting. Yeah. Because um, you said this was in the 60s. Yeah, this is in the 60s yeah. and, and 70s. So when was and she born then? She was born in 44. 44. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so this puts her sort of on the radar, both because she's sort of this Black Panther activist and also a communist, puts her really heavily on the radar for, you know, conservative governments during that period. And there's this one event that is insane to read. Um, she was in with these individuals and she she's also a, um, a prison abolitionist. She's a... a She's a prison reformer. Mm -hmm. She's working with these individuals called the Soledad Brothers, who are uh, uh, three inmates accused of killing a prison guard at Soledad Prison. Um, and what happens is 
uh, during their trial, this other individual, Jonathan Jackson, using guns purchased by Angela Davis, uh, breaks into the courtroom, takes everybody hostage, arms the prisoners, and attempts to escape with them. Wow. And in a shootout with the police trying to escape, the judge is killed. Jeez. And, and so Angela Davis is suddenly accessory to, or is viewed as accessory to murder. And she goes on the lamb and is put on the FBI's top most wanted list, top 10 most wanted list. Like I said, wow. she, she's a dark, she's a dark life. Um, and so she spends a lot of time, spends a bit of time sort of being sort of one of the most hunted people in America before surrendering herself, uh, for trial. Yeah. Just slap some Nikes on her and just about every alt, alt writer is going to want to kill her. You can understand why she represents a lot of negative ideas for the right, that she is a, uh, aggressive, um, powerful black woman who, uh, believes in social justice in a very um, aggressive kind of way. Now, um, there's a wonderful, wonderful interview that we'll, we'll link in the show notes um, about an hour long of her after all of this happens. And they ask her about the use of violence. And her answer is really powerful that she's strongly against the use of violence. But uh, that, that, ha- that question has to be understood within the context of being asked to someone who, like I said earlier, grew up with bombings happening in her neighborhood. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's, I think the only negative thing I could say about Gandhi is his, what his movement did is gave this way of like any protest could be peaceful because, well, Gandhi did it. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, all the things he went through to be able to right. do that, like, I, yeah, I agree. I think there are times where violence is a necessary evil, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's there's this challenging spectrum question of where do we fall on on those sorts of so like sort of I, I, in my mind, and this is probably inappropriate, but I uh, I think of it as a spectrum between Malcolm X and um, MLK. I don't right? think it's inappropriate. Yeah. Have you ever seen the documentary uh, "I'm Not Your Negro"? Uh, no, I haven't, but that sounds oh, really it good, is, it, it, but I love Malcolm X. And it I, taught I me a ton of things about the civil rights movement that I, I thought I knew that I totally didn't know. It's an amazing documentary. So on that spectrum, I would put Angela Davis, honestly, it, it's, it's hard, right? She's very sophisticated. There are times where she talks, where she does sound a lot like Malcolm X, but there's other times where she sounds a lot more like MLK when, when asked questions about whether she's a radical, for example. Yeah. And, and actually... With my rudimentary understanding, uh, what I learned a lot from that documentary was, I, you're, I think you're correct in saying that there is a, a, a spectrum between those two people. Um, and for some black folks in those communities, uh, sometimes they found themselves torn between one or the other in terms of a, of a philosophical difference. MLK, I think, in Letter from a Birmingham Jail says specifically he feels torn about it. But yeah. like he feels the concern of being used as a, a cudgel against other uh, activists and freedom fighters, basically. Yeah. Um, great. So, oh, sorry, so, so I, I'm sorry, I left everybody hanging on what happens, right? She shows up and... <laughs> <laughs> 
That's good storytelling here, man. Yeah. We're crushing it. Um, she shows up and submits to a trial and is acquitted by an all-white jury. What? Which I found fascinating. Uh, yeah, true story. Like white guilt? Like how did that happen? Uh, she's found not guilty. The fact that she owned the guns um, used in the crime was judged insufficient to establish her responsibility in the plot. So I guess, you know, gun the, the, the gun lobby worked out in her favor for once. Wow. If only they came through for um, uh, Flando Castile. I mean, there's a lot of irony in all of this because the the NRA has a racist history. There's no other way around this, right? They have a kind of racist history of being for freedom to own guns, except when the Black Panthers started arming themselves. Yeah. And then there was a lot of, even though the Black Panthers are all making their case, like we need these guns because people are palming us. <laughs> like we're, we're facing actual attacks on our community. We need it for the same kind of self-defense that white people claim to need it for. Yeah. When, when the government becomes tyrannical, we need our guns in order to defend ourselves. That's literally what they were doing. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's really fascinating. And um, so from there, you know, she goes on to just be an educator and an activist uh, and is still an educator and an activist today. She's still teaching. She's still working on prison abolitions. So we'll talk about some of her um, views. Uh, but, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty voidy. And yet when you listen to her, she's fascinating to listen to. She she seems so insightful and um balanced in her approach despite all of this stuff uh so yeah um the main views that that tend to be associated with angela davis are uh communism and feminism um and uh prison abolition on the applied side and and sort of these questions about what it is to be a radical right so uh she does seem to take the uh, sort of approach that MLK takes in Birmingham jail where he says, well, look, you know, you call called, you know, Jesus was called a radical. Socrates was called a radical. Radical really just means someone who speaks strongly against the current status quo, it seems like. And in that sense, it's good to be a radical. Yeah, I totally agree. That's yeah, that's always a so, good one. So but, what um, kind of things does she say about being a radical? Um, let's see. Well, so for example, the prison, the prison abolition stuff, uh, she doesn't believe she doesn't like to identify herself as a prison reformer because she thinks the sort of the fundamental structure is flawed and that the really radical view is a kind of abolition of our current prison industrial complex. And, you know, it's, she has a little I, I can't say too much about what she wants to replace it with, the stuff that I was able to read in the interviews that I saw. What I gather is that she wants a more rehabilitative model. Um, and, you know, maybe she, maybe this is more of a rhetorical point for her to say, you know, I see myself as an abolitionist, not a reformer. Um, but that is the, that is sort of how I uh, see her her use of of the talk of radical. And, and certainly she engaged in some kind of radical behaviors uh, early on, especially saying positive things about um, the uh, what the the communist Germans and the way that they were handling things, stuff that she has later um, 
sort of mitigated a little bit, I think, in talking about what we now know about their their atrocities and uh but but that kind of use of somewhat shocking um statements to to bring about substantial social change oh interesting yeah and i also think what's what's really interesting is the way that she talks about feminism and feminist critique of all of these kinds of issues there's sometimes there's an objection raised about what feminism brings to the philosophical table and i think there's sort of a lot of good examples where she talks about um how the experiences of living in these oppressed systems and the the methods of dealing with it are different for women and that they are they are they have to deal with things differently it's a very intersectionalist kind of view i was just about that, to say that yeah yeah no go ahead no no that, that's all i was going to say is it sounds like an intersectional kind of idea there that's yeah it. yeah absolutely um and so she's actively interested in uh the ways in which women play a role in all of these social justice kinds of movements so the she talks about the she was she was uh in with the federation of cuban women um and I think would would sort of she's of the of the mind that pushes back on the critique that the Marxist project can only can can function purely as a conversation about class that race and gender uh, that all of these things aren't uh, strongly connected to what's going on in these problems. Does uh, I don't know if anything you read of hers if she talked about communism and marxism like so sometimes those those two get conflated and i'm wondering if she makes um, a distinction at all between those two I, i'm not sure I, I haven't i didn't come across a specific okay. sort of splitting up of those things um and it seems like she has she no longer i'm not sure if she i think she no longer considers herself a classical kind of communist right i think she has probably moved towards the more what we think of these days is like a socialist kind of model of reform. Yeah. You mean she changed her mind? What a flip-flopper. Right. I can point y'all towards some of her writings, though I do recommend watching some of those videos that we'll, that we'll link as well. Uh, she's well known for uh, the book Woman, Race, and Class, which sort of talks about the histories that I'm, I'm referring to about uh, how these struggles were often driven by women but the stories are often um uh portrayed as being about men there was a great one that, that I, I was reading where she was talking about how um when we think of the civil rights movement again like i was earlier right we think of great men like mlk and malcolm x but the reality is that a lot of this was being driven by activist women who had already sort of been in the trenches trying to get women's rights and so we're already deep into the organizing side of all of this um and that the organizing of women it was an important separate skill that they were bringing to the table interesting i this is only partially related uh, i went and saw um black Klansman. i think that's the name of the movie uh, mm -hmm. which was like okay i thought it was fine like it wasn't super great but um, it was interesting, uh, and I don't know how much of it was 
some creative storytelling and how much of it was factual. Um, but the guy who's the cop that pretends to be uh, the Klansman, he sort of meets this woman who is in the Black Panthers. Um, and and she is of the mindset that all cops are bad, they're pigs and stuff like that. So they actually have quite a bit of um, headbutting when she finds out that he's a cop because he holds it from her. Um, but But what you see is how much of a leader she is and how much she is sort of pushing the movement for um for black folks Mm -hmm. which sort of verifies what you're saying that's why i brought it up yeah and i'm guessing i haven't seen the movie does she have a giant afro yes angela (laughs) davis is well known as being sort of uh, the iconic Mm. big woman female power afro Mm. look um yeah uh so, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's interesting that that's in there and it probably is a direct sort of connection to her. Yeah. Um, a direct allegory, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some other things that people might want to look at, she wrote in 2003, a book, Are Prisons Obsolete? Uh, which obviously is about her prison abolitionist kind of perspectives. Um, Woman Culture and Politics is supposed to be another really good kind of dense read yeah do you know what what are the like most contemporary things that she's done that you know about uh yeah let's see uh the meaning of freedom was 2012 um and uh freedom is a constant struggle ferguson palestine and the foundations of a movement so there's a lot of universal stuff. And also I found this, uh, looks like in 2006, she authored a children's book called Princetta. Mm. Uh, so that might be a good book for all of you trying to indoctrinate your young communist children. <laughs> and I she mean, wrote a book in I, 99 I keep, about the prison industrial saying, complex. Yeah. I keep saying that like Marxism, like true Marxism is the future and by that i mean like star trek is literally marxism right there's no there's no currency and people just do things to support greater society and i want to be there i think that that kind of utopian goal is an understandable one yeah i think it's it's certainly one to work towards um mostly i just want transporters because i think it'd be cool yeah, I haven't. I didn't see anything of her talking specifically about universal basic incomes. Now that you mention it, but mm. um, I, I imagine that that would be something she would be into as well. She's also obviously uh, some other you know things you would expect. She opposes the death penalty um, on, I'm sure, racist and ethic ethical grounds. Um, she spoke at Occupy Wall Street, so she's she's pretty active and out there. Uh, she was an honorary co-chair of the 27 Women's March. Mm. And she there's, she gave an interview recently that was interesting where she talked about how Donald Trump is spurring more feminists' uh, activism again. Mm, interesting. Does she teach anywhere currently or or is everything she does she do everything sort of personally like writing books or or doing uh, doing speeches and stuff? Do you know? She is still an educator and currently employed at University of California. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I apologize. She is a retired educator from University of California. Um, Do you know which, which Santa, UC? Santa Cruz. 
Santa Cruz. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and no, she is, I guess, retired, it looks like. Um, but she still does the the writing and social activism and probably, I mean, you know how it is with teachers. We never really quit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> They're not planning ever quitting. No. All right. So that's pretty much it. Um, I, I really like seeing how, starting to really see how all of these different um, movements within philosophy emerge in specific individuals that they become kind of a philosophical intersectional uh focal point um it really plays up i think that a lot of these ethical debates and struggles are just overlapping versions of the same kind of debate i wonder if there's like a golden root go, uh, a golden oh my god i can't say that word right now a golden rule of philosophy or ethics uh or like, or like or like like <laughs> You think like there's one solution? One yeah. Model? Yeah. What's that called? No, it's not the golden it's, rule. What is it? It's golden something. The golden mean. Yeah. What you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's just forty-two. Maybe. Uh, here's a good quote. <laughs> All on, philosophy could get boiled down to forty-two. Oh God. Um, here's a good quote by libertarian journalist Kathy Young about Davis. She says the long record of uh, Davis's long record of support for political violence in the United States. And the worst of human rights abuses abroad undermined the Women's March on Washington. So she's still, you know, viewed as exemplary of the problems of the far left right. Um, by right wing folks. Yeah. Damn lefties. Damn dirty lefties. <laughs> All right. Shall we uh, hero of the week it? We should. Is that what you think you are? A hero? Saved the world, didn't I? Once. Talk to me after you've done it a couple more times. Uh, so our hero of the week, who, for reasons that will quickly become apparent, prefers to apparently to go by a moniker of Lone Wolf, uh, has provided something that we clearly needed in our late stage capitalist dystopian world, uh, which is a fetish, a way to um, engage in a fetish of laying eggs, alien eggs inside of yourself and then giving birth to them. Notice how you couldn't say most of that without a, like with a straight face. Oh man, it was one of the more satisfying sentences to ever come out of me, much like an alien egg I feel would be probably. I I just have to quote one thing from this article because it's my favorite part and it's in this like subtitle. Fans say the sensation of mushy extraterrestrial ovium slopping out of them is a real treat. <laughs> A real treat. <laughs> I great, agree. <laughs> there's a great picture that goes with this, and, and we're going to link, obviously, but it's the the delivery mechanism. It looks like, a, I mean, it looks like a dildo. If the dildo were designed like the thing coming off the back of the alien in the alien queen in Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's this weird, creepy alien looking penis that has a mechanism by which it can deposit eggs but inside actually, of you. One of them almost looks like the creatures from Tremors. Remember that movie? <laughs> oh, God. I love in the picture that everything is sticky. Like they've already just put goo all over everything. <laughs> Why is I'm everything like, sticky? <laughs> <laughs> and we're not here to king shame. That's what I'm saying, right? This is hero. This man is a hero 
for giving individuals the opportunity to experience this particular fetish. And I salute them and I, I praise them for finding something complex and interesting in this otherwise increasingly banal world. I mean, I'm of the mindset that like whatever you want to do that makes you happy, like you do you. Like it's like whatever you want to do that doesn't affect other people in a negative way, like totally do it. I think it's hilarious and I'm going to make fun of it. But like you want to do it, totally do you, dude. God, I really like, and this this comes in the form of a Vice interview, and you can read the whole interview. And I just, part of me was supposed to read all of it. Like, um, is there any danger of putting gelatin eggs up your butt or vagina? <laughs> Answer: Everything in moderation. We are not <laughs> doctors, and we're not about to comment on what is safe or unsafe to do with one's body, as it varies from person to person. <laughs> and then my second favorite part is the YouTube video demonstrating the proper use of it. <laughs> Guy says he's used it many... Oh, person. The person says he's used it many times and uh, hasn't had any problems. Obviously, if you're allergic to gelatin, you can't use it. Um, yeah, and then it dissolves by your body heat. That's the other hilarious part about this. <laughs> dissolves inside of you. It's so weird. I love it. Like... Here's the thing I'm trying to like, I don't even know how to say this word. So there's like the article is like interviewer question, interviewee answer. Like that's the form of the article. And the last one is I consider myself pretty open minded, but I'm honestly still struggling to see the appeal in this. Could you try one last sales pitch? And the person says, there are different perspectives of everything. And Avi Poster, I, oh, I can't even say that word. That's the word. Avi Positor. Avi Positor. Avi Positor. Like, 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 like a repository for eggs. <laughs> that's, that's what it means, I think. <laughs> you want to be a repository. I get it. Oh my God. It's awesome. <laughs> I love uh, it. I can't read the rest. Like, that's just, that's uh, my favorite you. part. Uh, that's the best part. Many like to envision an alien creature that wants its eggs inside of you. It can be a little intimidating or off-putting to those who do not fantasize about being the willing or unwilling host of alien beings inside of them. It blurs the line of our own humanity to find sexual pleasure with something that is so far from human. And for some, just talking about it gets them wet. <laughs> I, I love this. Uh, I love this. I mean, like, I, I don't want this. I don't want to do this thing. But I love that this thing exists. It is so voidy. And it makes me so very happy. You know, the only negative thing I could say about all this is there doesn't appear to be a, and here's where you can get the accoutrement to do this. Oh, there's no link. I don't think this is fake. Like, it's a Vice article. I, yeah. I don't think they're just straight making it up. But yeah, is I guess they didn't want to, I guess they figure you're going to find it yourself if you're really interested. <laughs> Well, they say Primal Hardware. They give the name of the company, at least. Yeah, so it's like maybe it's, it's that. I don't want to click hard. on it. <laughs> you don't want to Google. I'm afraid of clicking on it. It's coming up in your algorithm. <laughs> coming up. <laughs> oh. I feel so bad for Angela Davis. I need to like write her a letter apologizing. <laughs> Why is there Hero of the Week? Is this a separate segment? <laughs> separate segment. There. It's nothing to do with her. Oftentimes, our heroes have nothing to do with the main parts. Let's do it. I mean, we can do a feminist literary. I mean, we, we, we could do a feminist critique of this particular thing, right? What is 
what is the fetish of of wanting to be in this kind of submissive position? Is this a you know does the egg represent our culture that in you know inseminates us with beliefs that are ultimately harmful to us if we do it too often? I don't like. There's a, there's a critique to be had here, right? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a, a fair uh, critique you could have of everything, right? Well, yeah, you could use the uh, we could use this to critique Angela Davis and say, you know, if we if she had her way and we were communist, the communists would never invent, you know, egg alien insertion dildo situation. That's that's capitalism. You need you need the innovations of the free market to get, be able to get a gelatinous egg inside of your body. For the record, I am not the one trying to draw a line between Angela Davis and this thing. <laughs> just just so we're all aware, we all understand what's happening. I am not the drawer of lines. You know, are you saying that my attempts to make things relevant as a compulsion might be becoming problematic? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> that I keep trying to insert things where they don't belong and I should keep things... You do you, dude. You natural. Natural. <laughs> I hope I hope Lou doesn't hear this episode. <laughs> she will eventually, probably, probably. while running. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Any final thoughts on alien egg penis um, activity? I think we've we've done that one. Yeah, I think we've done it. If you can come up with a, a fetish that is voidier than this, email it to GW for me. Oh, great. Pictures. Preferably. If you find any fetish related to octopi, <laughs> send it to Aaron. <laughs> All of those things can go to void pod Gmail. <laughs> we'll we'll sort through it later. It's oh, fine. Man. Or we know don't put those in the philosophers in space group. Oh. Or at least give a warning. Give a lot of warning because they might not all know what we do over here on this side of the world. Yeah. And, and if you lose philosopher and say in space people because of this, that's your fault. <laughs> Just so we're clear. <laughs> that's fair. I, I own this. This is why, no matter how much I love Philosophers in Space, and it will always be my equal favorite, this one is always going to have a special place in my heart, because this is the show where we get to talk about the egg plant implanting fetish. It's a special place in your heart because it got implanted in your in anus and worked its way up to your heart. <laughs> it's weird. And that's where it gestated. I mean, given how Alien is maybe one of my favorite movies of all time, it's weird that I don't have this fetish. I could, mm. It would make sense, right? Mm. It makes me want to ask follow-up questions about what you think about uh, Prometheus and Alien Ugh. Covenant. Uh, yeah, you know. I thought they were good. Did you? Yeah, I enjoyed them. Okay, well, we can talk about that at some point. That seems like a lengthier conversation than we might want to have here. Probably. Um, I, I, you know, they have moments to them, but they're not, they're not aliens, and nothing ever will be. Not even putting a gelatinous egg up my own butt, apparently. <laughs> Have I broke you sufficiently? Are we good? <laughs> it's just awesome. I, I think it. we're good. I think we'll just roll on that one. Yeah. <laughs> we would like to thank our new patrons. Wait, I'm curious. Jonathan Smith, Help, and Luis Harden. We would like to thank our top patrons. Jesse Benowitz and Brenda Goodman, Dave Maslick, Abe, Corey Johnston, host of the Brainstorm podcast on the Hardcore Skeptic, campcross.org, 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 Mr. Nobody, and Scott John Harrison at Shaded Sprider. If you would like to become a patron, find us at patreon.com slash embrace the void. As always, remember, you are the void and the void is you. 